Hello, I'm David Weiss for The Daily Worker Placement, and this is The Game Changers. Episode 1, Introduction. The first question you should be asking yourself is, why does this podcast even exist? And the answer is that I went looking for it and couldn't find it. The era starting around 1990 has seen an unprecedented inventiveness and growth in the popularity of tabletop games, but although millions of words have been written about the individual games, no one has really told the story about the tabletop art form as a whole. That's right, I said art form. Tabletop, with a capital T. That term to me encapsulates games usually played on a table, usually using some combinations of cards, dice, tokens, and tiles, and usually uses a board. I think tabletop is an expression of human creativity, and the process of its creation is no different from any other art form. I speak from personal experience here, having been both a semi-professional songwriter and performer, as well as an amateur tabletop designer. Tabletop, like literature, music, movies, or art begins with a spark or a kernel of an idea. It's tested and fleshed out, edited and modified some more, and then when it's finished, it's released into the world for others to experience. I've chosen 12 games that I think best tell the story of the modern tabletop art form. Each one is literally a game changer, dividing time into before and after, like Pablo Picasso's Les Demoiselles d'Avignon or Miles Davis's Kind of Blue. Each game's designer redefined what was possible and paved the way for others to follow. It's far from a comprehensive list of games. Some are not the first or best examples of their kind, but I chose them because between the 12 of them, they cover most of the genres, design innovations, and important backstories that have come to shape modern tabletop. Of course, some tabletop is trashy, ephemeral, time-wasting, ground out solely to try and make a buck. But there's also movies that go straight to DVD or streaming, one-hit wonder bands, and comic books that are churned out to tie into the latest disposable franchise. But the best tabletop, like the best cinema, classic albums, or graphic novels, draws its participants in to the extent that time and space slip away and everything else disappears except the game. So having disposed of the first obvious question, I now move on to the second and third ones. Why do I care so much about telling this story, and what's so special about me that I think I can do this anyway? This is going to take a while, so make yourself comfortable while I explain. I'm six years old and being thrashed by my Uncle Steve. My tension and fear are cut by the sweet smell coming from his pipe. Cupping it in his right hand, he brings it swiftly down on me, capturing yet another one of my pieces with his. He shows no mercy, throws no lifelines, allows no takebacks. The fact that he's been playing chess for decades and I've just learned how to move the pieces means nothing to him. He just methodically takes advantage of every single noob mistake that I make, all the while commenting dryly with that charming Budapest accent. 
a low voice marinated by tobacco. Checkmate comes swiftly. This is the era of Bobby Fischer's dominance of the chess world, and I devoured his book, Bobby Fischer Teaches Chess, as well as every other chess book in the local public library. I soon discovered books about other games on the adjacent shelves. Hey, there's a Chinese chess and a Japanese chess, and a weird game called Go, with pieces that don't move when you put them on the board. My parents take me down to Chinatown and downtown Toronto to hunt for a Go board, and an abacus, with which I was also obsessed. We ended up finding a super cheap one with a mounted paper board and plastic pieces, and I used it for years. My chess games with Uncle Steve went on for many years. As I got older, I got better at fending off the inevitable, but in all the years I played chess with him, I only beat him twice towards the end of his life, when his health had failed him. Those were joyless victories for me, for I knew I wasn't playing him at anything near his best. We cut to me at age 10, at summer camp, in the urban valley just minutes away from my home. In the echoey camp main hall, my counselor is leading us in a hobby hub activity, which involves moving little cardboard squares representing American and German tanks around a mounted paper board divided into hexagons, representing the French countryside. My cabin mates and I are in our camp t-shirts and shorts, sweaty in the humid heat of the Toronto summer, but in my mind, I'm a grizzled, begoggled tank commander, desperate to stay alive long enough to make it back home in one piece. A neighboring tank column, directed by one of my friends, takes a direct hit. Its piece is replaced by neutral white chits with pictures of tanks on fire. War is hell, and I am mesmerized. The game is called Panzer Leader, and I go out and get my own copy from Eaton's as soon as I can. Later that summer, I ask my counselor to recommend more games like this to play, and he names one called Blitzkrieg. I buy it, and am disappointed that it's not a historical battle, but just a war between two made-up countries on a made-up map, but I played it anyway. I'm hooked. Later, at 15, I'm so homesick during my family's summer trip to Israel for my brother's bar mitzvah that I bring along my copy of Squad Leader with me to keep me company and remind me of home. I set it up on the floor of the covered balcony of where we're staying, an old friend of my mother's apartment in Herzliya near Tel Aviv. One day, I accidentally drop a piece into the drain pipe, and my father has to go down four stories to the courtyard to find it. Wherever we travel that summer, I imagine what the terrain would look like superimposed over a hex grid. Now we cut to the early 2000s. I'm 35, and I'm teaching back at my own high school. It's an old dream come true. It's Friday after school, in the fall, not long after I started, and I'm sitting around with a bunch of desks pushed together, playing a board game with the current members of the school's gaming club. I feel consumed with nostalgia, playing in the very same classroom I used to sit in 20-plus years before. When I was a senior, I'd edited the club magazine called Battling Balrogs and Company, or the BB&C, which gives away its main focus, Dungeons and Dragons. I'd been an avid reader and contributor, mainly reviews of war games, and becoming an editor had been my ambition since grade seven. My co-editor that year is a neo-hippie, the year below me, who likes to wear headbands and tie-dye. 
She's actually not really into tabletop at all, but she's a great illustrator and has a new thingamajig called a word processor and is willing to help type articles and collate. That year, we put out more issues than had ever been done in one year before. I think it was three. Not bad, considering I'm also carrying a full course load and applying to universities. Meanwhile, as a teacher, I'm sitting around and the kids look just like the ones that I used to play with back when I had been a student, with their shaggy mullets, skin conditions, and penetrating nasal voices. And I ask myself, is there a physical type that drifts into tabletop games? It's a question that I think about often, from then on. I'm in my shirt and tie, the kids are in their t-shirts and jeans. But we're all totally into the game, which is all about politics during the French Revolution. The final scene is 11 years later. I'm 46, and there's a garage sale at the end of my street. It's a spring day with air as crisp as a new Euro. My wife and I are pushing our three-year-old in a stroller. Now, I'm a sucker for garage sales, usually for books and CDs, but this time there are some board games for sale. Three of them are really good ones instead of the usual dreck. The first one's called a choir, which is uh, the new edition of the old Sid Saxon classic. The second one is Die Sternfahrt von Catan, which is the original German language edition of the space-themed Settlers of Catan. It's just been reissued as Catan Starfarers, by the way. The third one is called Drunter und Drüber, which I'd never heard of, but it looked high quality. It turns out to be a game about building outhouses in the Old West. Each game is on sale for $2. Apparently, they belong to a former roommate who had skipped out without paying rent, and the seller has no wish to keep that stuff around, because the boxes for these games take up a not inconsiderable amount of room. My pulse quickens when I realize what I have found. It feels like an episode of the Antique Road Show, where the guy brings in the painting that's been hanging behind the door in his parents' house, and it turns out to be a long-lost Diego Rivera portrait worth a million dollars. I throw my money at them, and I run home so I don't have to schlep the boxes around the neighborhood. Those three games become the kernel of my new board game collection. As I sell off most of the old war games, I now admit to myself I will never play again and begin buying an entirely new class of game which begins to eat up space first in the basement closet, then on the basement bookshelves, and eventually migrates with me when I split up with my wife and go solo. They now take up two huge IKEA bookshelves in my living room, plus a smaller bookshelf in my bedroom, plus several kitchen cupboards, plus some other places I won't tell you about because it's too embarrassing. Ever since that garage sale, I have tried and failed to equal the thrill that I had when I found those three games. But a few weeks after that, I did find a local board gaming club and started to go out and play games every week. I had finally found my people. So those are just four vignettes that I hope will illustrate that tabletop has been a part of my life pretty much all my life. The story of the games I'm about to tell you about, therefore, includes parts of my own story, which I hope will not bore or distract you. This podcast is not a memoir, although I will be talking about Memoir 44 at some point. And I don't need or want to be the center of your attention. 
I do, however, need you to understand that there are those of us, including possibly yourself, dear listener, who follow tabletop designers the way that others might follow their favorite singers, eagerly awaiting their next project to drop, speculating online about what it might be, making unboxing videos when their creation is delivered in the mail. Every art form has its fans, collectors, snobs, popularizers, dilettantes, and yes, geniuses. Tabletop is no exception, and you will meet examples of all these types in the episodes to follow. The first game changer arrived on the scene on the west coast of the U.S. in the early 1990s, but its roots, and thus the roots of modern tabletop, lie in China in the 9th century. was episode one of The Game Changers. I'm David Weiss of The Daily Worker Placement saying, don't flip that table. See you again next time.